Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning, and I just want to welcome everyone this morning. It's nice to see, and those who are here for the first time, I just want to say it's so nice to have you here. And those of us who are watching online, it's great to be here, and thank you for joining us this morning. And as you know, we are doing a series from the Gospel of John, and we have come to the fifth chapter, as you just heard the passage being read, and we're going to only look at the first nine verses of chapter 9. Now, John's chapter, John's gospel is different from the others. His primary goal is not to give uh, historical accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not why John wrote the gospel. His primary goal was really to, you see that in John 20, 31, to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that men believe on him and be saved. Look at this passage. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So church, uh, in today's narrative, is also to exalt the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you may believe. Everybody say the word believe. Believe. So that is even today's subject matter is that. So, But this message is not only to unbelievers but also to those of us believers who are not having a fruitful life. Who are not having a fruitful life. So John presents Jesus in a different portrait in every chapter in his book. The 21 chapters have got 21 different portraits of Jesus Christ. Now in these verses today, what you're going to look at, John presents Jesus as the great physician. That's how he's presenting Jesus, who is standing on the porch of your heart. I want you to come along with me. He is reaching out to you. He's calling, child, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to be well? So you say, Pastor, I'm trapped in sin and I'm not able to come out. Pastor, I live in an abusive environment. Pastor, my children are not listening to me. They are wayward, they are lost, they are not walking in the Lord. Pastor, my family is in disarray. And you say that there is no peace, there is no joy. I am broke emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. Pastor, I am so scared about death and I don't know where I would be when I die. If that is you, church, this message is for you. It's for you. Church, Jesus is standing on the porch of your heart. He is reaching out to you calling out, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to be well? So with that intro, let us understand the context. Let's get into the passage now. The story begins, as you read through the story, it begins with Jesus coming back to Jerusalem. Look at the map. I know the map may not be that clear to everyone to see. Last time when we saw Jesus, where was he? He was in Galilee. 
right? He was in a town called Cana. Last time when we looked at that, there was a noble man who came from Capernaum and he came to the Lord and he wanted Jesus to come along with him to Capernaum so that his son would be healed. And we went through that in detail and, and, and we saw how trusting in Jesus' word, the nobleman's son was healed. Not only that he was healed physically, but we also learned that the nobleman and his entire household committed their lives to the Lord. They became believers. You see how John's, as John writes these things, we can see how John is leading us to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was in Cana, look at the picture, and he's going back to Jerusalem. So, let's dive into the passage now. As you look at verse number one, it says, after this, that's how it starts, isn't it? I'm reading from New King James Version. So, after this, that means after healing the nobleman's son and where the entire family believed in Jesus, the, John writes, there was a feast of the Jews. There was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He comes for a feast, but John does not tell us what the feast is all about. So the feast itself, church, cannot be the center of the issue. Because John is not focusing on that. Let's keep reading verse number 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, I'm going to go slow with this, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So what do we take from that? When Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he comes to a pool called Bethesda. The pool has got five porches, and we see there are a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lie around the pool. I don't know how many of you growing up have porches in your homes. They are a pretty special place for us. And growing up in my childhood days, the small porch in the front of our yard was a very important part of our home. Because we sit there in the cool of the evenings, my parents and my siblings, and we just enjoy the company of each other. We're laughing and joking and teasing with my little sisters and, and listening to the yesteryear stories of my parents. It was a great bonding time. Even when the friends come or the family comes, sometimes, you know, we sit on the porch and we talk. Porch is a special place. And here we are looking at a porch in today's narrative, and we are going to see a special guest in the porch. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ the greatest physician. Church, when the Bible says, by the sheep gate a pool with five porches, these porches were built for the shade of the sick who were there. Just come along with me. Picture this in the theater of your mind. Otherwise, you won't get the picture clearly. The sheep gate, if you recall, when you did the study of the book of Nehemiah, we know that they built that sheep gate. You recall that? When the rebuilding of the temple? So sheep gate is where they would parade in the livestock. So they were going into the temple. So obviously, this gate would be a, not be a desirable place for people to stay. Why? Because of the smell and of all the animals' droppings. 
So this was not a well-liked place, but this was where the invalids gathered. That's what you're seeing. Those who are blind and lame and paralyzed. So as you think about this church, there must be groaning and crying and anguish, and it's not a happy place, as I said, and there weren't any washrooms that were there for these people. I wanted to picture this for a moment. There would have been sweat and bugs and smell and all we see is a dark blanket of shame over all the people who are seated in this porch. So, but this place is also called what? Bethesda. Bethesda. Do you know what that really means, church? Bethesda simply means the house of love, house of mercy, house of kindness. Interesting, isn't it? A place where you see all the invalids is called Bethesda. The house of love, mercy, and kindness. A foul, stinking, and polluted place. That place was. And we see who was walking in. Jesus walking in to that place. Now, let me ask you a question. To the committed followers of Christ, the ones to whom the Lord commanded, go to the, to the ends of the earth and make disciples, would you voluntarily go to this porch? Would you go and stay with those invalids? Would you go and care for those people? If you are not able to go, would you empower the people, empower the people who are willing to go? That's our missional responsibility, church. Imagine a mission trip to the sheep gate, and I'm telling you, I'm going to take you guys on the mission trip. How many of you would sign up? It would take a lot of motivation for someone to go there. It's a missional endeavor that requires utmost humility. Because we are not going to stay in hotels. We're going to stay with these invalids. So truth be told, church, for a moment, we don't have to go to the sheep gate. Even in churches today, sadly, we find some people, they may appear to be inferior in some way. I'm using the word appear. They are not truly inferior. They may appear to be because of their appearance, because of their lifestyle, their views on spirituality, or they are not, a, they are not up to our mark. How do you treat them? How do you treat those people in the church? Who do you mingle during the week? Do you show partiality? I have my own holy club. I will mingle with them during the week. Do you, I'm asking you, reach out to each other during the week? On an application, church, this is very personal. I want to, I want to, I want to relate this to you. Please know that the foundation of this church, SCF, was what? Reaching out with love. Reaching out with love. SCF would be and should be the Bethesda to this community that we are living in. This is a house of love and mercy and kindness for all the sick and those afflicted spiritually to walk through these doors and find healing, real healing in their lives from sin and all of effects. They should be able to find Jesus in this house that they would be loved and welcomed here. Church, if there is a day when the spiritually sick are not welcome here, shut the doors. Call it quit. Call it quit. But I know, 
I personally know it will never be because even after my time, I know because we here truly worship the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. For the Lord who shows up in Bethesda, church, He's showing up here in the midst of us. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. Whether you are spiritually invalid, blind, lame, or paralyzed. Let's read verse number 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version here. What do we gather from this church is apparently at a season, certain season, an angel descended into the pool of Bethesda and stirred up the waters. When this happens, the first person that could get from the porch to the pool was healed. That's what they're learning from this verse. Suddenly we can say a blessing to the one person and it's a huge disappointment for the other. I know I can see some of you are struggling to look at this verse from your ESV Bible. Or your NIV Bibles, you won't find it. Interesting, isn't it? Why is it? Let us do it in the Bible study, not, not from the pulpit now, okay? You don't find this verse number four in the ESV and the modern translations. But all we take is the belief of the people was whoever stepped in first after stirring up, stirring up the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. The Bible does not teach us that this actually happened. The commentators say that this superstitious belief probably arose because of the pool's association with the nearby temple. Now, as the sick and the infirm were lying there waiting for the waters to move, who shows up? Jesus. He passed by and walked on these porches. Church, what took place on that particular day is a powerful demonstration of His divine power, not only to heal the body, but also it's a picture of His divine power to heal the soul. So let's see what happens when Jesus shows up on the porch with you. Now, when we looked at the first four verses that I read, we saw the multitude. And as you reflect on the status of these people, they were wretched people, these people. Here's a group of people that were probably very pitiful to behold. Their bodies were twisted and sick, and they were indeed a wretched group. Their status varied from one to the other, sick people, lame people, paralyzed people, but one thing that was common is that they were all living in misery. All these people. In their mind, there's only one hope, but they find it impossible to reach into it because of their infirmity. We know, we believe there is a solution here. If only I can dip, dip myself in, but they are not able to do it because of their infirmity. Church, in their sickness, hear me out, they picture the sinner in all of his helplessness, blindness, uselessness, and dependence. You know, even though a lost person may be having a healthy body, but he's sick in the soul and are separated from God. 
You know, Apostle Paul so beautifully presents who a lost person is. Look at this. That at the time you were without Christ, when you are without Christ, this is how Paul describes you. That you are being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promise and having no hope. Everybody say no hope. No hope. No hope. So they were not only wretched, they were waiting people. All these people who are in the porch are waiting for something. They're waiting on the angel to come, waiting for the opportunity to get into the water and be healed. And they were waiting, and the great physician, listen very carefully, church, as they were waiting, the greatest physician who can heal them is just passing among them unheeded. Pathetic situation, isn't it? Pathetic. The very one who could have healed the entire multitude was in their midst. But they failed to recognize him. What a picture of the lost sinner. That's what it is. People struggle with sin's bondage and oppression. Men look for every way under the sun to fill the voids in their lives. And all the while, Jesus passes by. Unnoticed, unheard, and unheeded. What a tragedy, church. What a tragedy. You know, there are two portraits in the Bible which really touch me. I just want to bring it to you about the heart of Jesus. You know, when Jesus went and saw Jerusalem, he cried out and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. Who is he talking to? The unbelievers. And he says this. Look at this. He says, How often... I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. I want to do it. I want to bring you together, but you are not willing. I'm talking to some of you who have not committed your life to the Lord. You are not willing. Jesus is crying out, I want to gather you. And those of us who are believers when are backsliding, here's another verse. The Lord comes and he says, we find it in the book of Revelation. He's knocking at the door to lukewarm believers' heart. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Church, this is the cry of the Lord. If you are a believer, the Lord wants to bring you together. If you are a, sorry, if you are a believer and you are falling back, you are sliding back, God wants you back into the fold. He is knocking on the door. He wants to come back and He wants to be with you. If you are not a believer, He wants to gather the children. He wants to bring you together. You are not willing. You are not willing. The point is this, church. Men go on in their sins headed to an eternity in hell apart from Jesus. And all the while, Jesus is passing by even on the porch. And they fail to recognize and respond to him. It's a tragedy. Everybody say the word tragedy. It is a tragedy. When you see an unbeliever, the word that must come to your mind is, it's a tragedy. What do I do about this? You have a responsibility. Every one of us, every time we see an unbeliever, the word that must come to you is, it's a tragedy. What should I do now? What a shame it is, church. Listen, listen to the warning from the prophet Isaiah. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does it really mean? It means there will come a time that you will not be able to find him. You'll be seeking, you'll be running and say, God, help me, God, help me. God, you're not going to find him, church. That's what it means. Simple as that. And Apostle Paul writes to the saints in Corinth and he says this. He says, in, in, bear with me. He says that, uh, quoting from prophet Isaiah, this is, the first portion is found in the book of Isaiah 49 verse 8. For he says, the Lord tells the children of Israel, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Then Paul is crying out to the saints in Corinth, the last part of it, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So church, before we look into the lame man, may I make a personal appeal to those who are here and those who are listening online for today, if you will hear his voice, please, please, do not harden your heart. Please. If you are an unbeliever, seek him while you can find him. If you are a lukewarm believer, open, the, open your heart for the Lord to come in and sup with you. Let's read on, verses 5 to 7. I'm going to read the 5 to 7 so you get a picture and then I'm going to break it down. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he, had all, he already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well, made well? The sick man answered, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. So when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. What do we see about this man here, church? We see he was a disabled man. He was a disabled man. He is a man who is unable to do for himself. He has to be carried everywhere he goes. He is forced to beg his way through life and is totally useless and helpless in his condition. That's a picture of a sinner again, church. Lost people are spiritually crippled. They cannot go to God on their own. They are helpless in a spiritual sense. Church, if you are lost... Or if you are a believer, you are fallen back. You know what will not interest you? The things of God. Not interested in the things of God is a good sign for you to look and examine yourself. Because if you are sleeping back or if you are not a believer, you cannot pray. You cannot worship. You cannot truly enjoy the things of God. You cannot be used for God's glory. You cannot serve Him Either you are lost or falling back. So he, this, this man was not only a disabled man, he was a desperate man. Just the fact that he was at the pool is an indication that he was desperate for healing. So here's a man, if the angel did come, he would drag himself somehow to get into the pool. Imagine that pitiful scene there. You are not able to move, you are seated in the porch and you are waiting for the angel to come. You want to go in as the first person because that's your belief. If I go in, I am healed. Again, this is a picture of the sinner. I do not believe for a moment that anyone wants to go to hell. 
I'm convinced that most people want to know for sure that they will go to heaven when they die. The problem with most is that they are looking for a way other than God's way. People seem willing to try any plan, but not God's plan. People try everything such as religion and works and support groups and 12 steps, and the list can go on and go on, and all these are placed ahead of salvation through Jesus Christ. So as we read through this about this man, I said he was not only disabled and desperate, he was all the time one who was disappointed. Because time and time again, this man had seen others getting into the pool ahead of him, and time and time again, his dreams of completely getting healed was shattered. And time and time again, he was forced to drag his broken body back to the old pallet where he was living for 38 years. Imagine church. Not one day. 38 long years. Waiting for just another opportunity. Another time of disappointment. That's exactly what you see with the sinners. Man search for a piece of the soul. Man try various means of reaching the remedy for the pandemic of sin. But nothing works, church. Religion, good works will never work. Being a good person will fail you. Even the family association, I'm born in a Christian home. It doesn't work. Paul has a lot of credentials. It didn't work. Even a church affiliation, I belong to this church. It won't work. Nicodemus was a great example. Church leader, it doesn't work. What I'm saying here, church, is that anything other than Jesus will fail you as to the salvation of your soul. Salvation lies, the scripture is very clear, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which must be, we must be saved. And the Lord says very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, so if you trust anything other than Jesus and his blood, you will be disappointed, often here in this life and eternally in hell. So where is your trust this morning, church? So let us continue the story. We looked at the multitude of people, we looked at the man in specific. Now I want us to see who Jesus is in this scenario. We see the compassion of Jesus on this. And the same is true for you and I. Look at verse number 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he already had been in this condition for that long, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Picture this. Jesus coming. There are a multitude of people seated there. But Jesus is coming to this man only. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus chose him out of all the others. This man was chosen among the great multitude that was seated there. Jesus could have easily stopped at any person's bed in that place, but he chose to stop here. Church, that is pure grace. Everybody say the word grace. Grace. It's pure grace. This is what happens to a sinner who becomes a Christian. Jesus passes by and stops on your porch. Because the Bible is very clear, no one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
So not only when Jesus comes, he, he desires entrance. When the door is opened, Jesus is invited in, the salvation occurs. The book of Acts, we see, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So every ounce of pure grace and grace alone. Then you ask the question, Pastor, how do I know that I'm chosen? Just let's not make this into a big complicated theological argument. If the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you, yield to it. Don't worry about the doctrine of elections. Don't worry about you know, whom God has predestined. If the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you today, today is the day of salvation. Yield to it. Do not resist. It's a work of grace. Not only Jesus chose this man out of the multitude, he knew the wretched condition and still cared for him. Jesus knew all about this man. He knew that he was infirm. He knew that he was helpless and useless. But Jesus looked beyond his problems and looked at his greatest need. Jesus did not see what he was, but what he could be through his powerful touch. The same is true for the lost today. He knows every thought you have had, everything that you have done. He knows all the terrible things you are guilty of. Yet he loves you just as you are. He sees you not as you are in sin, but as you can be through his life-changing blood. Aren't you grateful that Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for me. Jesus came for you. For repentance. He requires no cha changes before a sinner can come to him. We just got to come just as we are. And the change happens when he comes in. So not only that Jesus chose this man and cared for him, Jesus offered him a chance to begin again. All over again. Start a new chapter. Here's a man for 38 years has lived in a broken body, and one day he meets Jesus, and he offered a chance to begin all over again. Church, that's what happens to the sinners People who are lost and living broken lives apart from the Lord can be saved by the power of God and God, Jesus can come to them and give them a second chance. Thank God, church, a second birth. That particular second birth, it blots out and all your transgressions and He gives you a new slate. It doesn't matter what your past is. Pastor, you don't understand my past. I have murdered. I'm exaggerating, please. I'm not saying any of you have murdered. I've murdered. I've committed adultery. I've done all these bad things, Pastor. Do I have hope? Absolutely, yes. He came to redeem you. You get a new start, a fresh start, and a clean slate, church. A clean slate, a new beginning. As you come, you know, the Lord comes and He declares justified and He made holy through God's salvation. Look at this verse. This should really bring brings you so much joy. Be, see how Paul writes, but 
Such were some of you after saying who you were before you came to know the Lord. And he says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our word. What a package we get, church. So as we examine this narrative, Jesus' question is directed to the invalid waiting next to the pool to be healed by a coming a miracle. It was obvious that this man, this 38-year-old man, or rather 38-year suffering man, he wants to be healed. Then the question is, why would Jesus ask this man if he wanted to be healed? Jesus, can't you see this? Don't you know that he wants to be healed? It's an interesting passage. There was another passage that he was going with the disciples. There was this blind man, Matthew, and he's seated there and he says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He was blind, he can't see, he was begging on the street. Jesus turned back, what do you want me to do for you? You know, I got very upset when I read that passage. Jesus, don't you know that this man is blind? What do you want me to do for you? He's asking the question here. I'm sure this question would have pierced and doubting, the doubting, depressed heart of a sinner. They wanted healing. Rather than answering the question, see what, see what this man said. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put to me, sorry, no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Instead of giving an answer to the question, simple question, do you really want to be healed? What is he doing here? He is giving listing reasons why he couldn't be healed. He said, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. In other words, he's saying, I'm alone and no one wants to help me, God. He's saying that while I'm going another steps down before me, everyone else has it better off than me. Notice he did not answer Jesus' question. But he allowed all the doubts of his unbelieving heart to creep forward in his pitiful state. Listen, church, rather than truly wanting to be healed, the invalid found it more comfortable to stumble in doubt and self-pity. He looked in and he didn't look up. But Jesus, in his compassion, healed him. That's what the Bible says. You know, today Jesus still holds the power to heal. Often he puts the same question to us. Do you want to be healed? The question covers both physical and spiritual health and personal problems, struggles with sin and even financial needs. But what do we do? Oftentimes, filled with doubt, we refuse to answer the question. Instead, we give excuses like the invalid. I'm alone and no one can help me, Jesus. It's all about me. You are not in my shoes and you don't understand. You go to somebody and you say, you come to the Lord, he wants to heal you. Pastor, you are not in my shoes, you don't understand me. No one can help me anymore, I am so trapped in sin. Have you heard these people saying? I have. Everyone else has it better off than me. I can't be helped in the problem I'm facing because there are too many things holding me back. When you need Christ's help, and healing, please don't concentrate on all the reasons why you are indeed helpless. He knows it. He's an omniscient God. He knows it all. 
recognize your weaknesses, answer the question by telling him, yes, I want to be healed. Then leave the details to him. Church, your response to Jesus' question will reveal the amount of faith you hold in your heart. This sick man, sick man at the pool illustrates us a classic example of the victim complex. When do I feel like a victim? When I don't believe in my gift of freedom. And I blame all my problems on the circumstances and the people around me. I am suffering because of the circumstances I am in. I'm suffering because of my infirmities. I'm suffering because of my wife. I'm suffering because of my children. I'm suffering because of my parents. Stop it, church. Stop it. Jesus is asking, do you want to be healed? Say yes to him. Say yes to him. In the end, it all boils down to choosing between the two basic life attitudes. Which one truly reflects you, church? Do you often complain that, I don't receive what I deserve. Do you complain that way? I don't receive what I deserve. That is, I'm focusing on my merit. Or do you say, compliment Jesus and say, I don't deserve what I receive. I don't deserve what I receive. That you focus on grace and your gratitude. So Jesus gives us the choice between these two attitudes, but he leaves us free. If you continue to close my heart in disappointment and think that I need to earn something I don't have, then I choose my own sadness. Instead, if I allow Jesus to gaze upon me and touch me with his love, and I'm willing to slowly but surely let him transform my outlook, on life circumstances, then I can be free to give thanks always. Because I remember that truly I don't deserve all the good I have received, church. The gift of my very life, the Father's love, the, the, you are getting up in the morning. Many people did not get up this morning, church. You did. I did. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Let us read on verse number 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. He gives a command. Jesus responds by commanding this man who has not walked for 38 years to get up, pick up his bed and walk. It's incredible. Incredible. It required on the part of the crippled man was a simple childlike faith. Imagine, you are lying there for 38 years and here's a man by the name of Jesus showing up. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. If you don't have the childlike faith, you will say, you're right. And many of us have told God, you're right. You're right. Church, when the call comes to the sinner lost in his sins, the only necessary response is faith. Jesus comes to men who have lived their entire lives in the grip of sin. He passes by and says, get out of the gutter and follows me. Men refuse because it sounds too simple. 
It sounds so simple that God can forgive me and give me new life. Jesus doesn't require perfection. He requires faith in him. That's why it's so easy for little children to be saved. That's why we have been called, assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Let's read verse number 9. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And church, the Bible makes it plain that this man was miraculously, instantly healed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This healing required no input from the patient, isn't it? Nothing. He just had to obey. Jesus spoke, the man was healed. And he had to do, all he had to do was to get up and walk. So when Jesus spoke, this man responded by getting up and walking, and he was commanded, as he was commanded, in the end, it was a simple healing. There was nothing extraordinary about, there was no angel, there was no stepping into the water. Just three words, rise, take, walk. These invitations from Jesus that I too can receive today, church, salvation works the same way. Jesus calls us to him. He saves those who come to him by his power. The sinner who before was incapable of anything spiritual, was crippled by sin, is now free to walk in newness of life. Jesus expects, wants us to walk. He has the power to take any life that has been broken by sin and make it over again. He has the ability to take any life and use it for his glory. Jesus is all-powerful, all-saving, and awesome. Church, did you notice one thing here in this passage? Apparently, the healing of this cripple did not even cause a stir among the multitude of people. You would have thought that they all would have cried out, Heal me, heal me, heal me. You would think that when a lost world saw old sinners saved by the grace of God, it would have an impact on others. However, they usually just pass it by and remain totally wrapped up within themselves and carry on their business as usual. What a shame it is, church. What a shame it is. Jesus passes by where they, where they are and they never even notice. It's sad, but it's true. What about you, my friend? You here who are watching online, Jesus is walking through this place this morning. Perhaps he has been speaking to your heart as you have listened. It is not complicated. You need to respond. All you have to do is a childlike faith. Rise, take, walk. It cannot be done by proxy church. Somebody else cannot do it for you. No matter how much I love you, you still have to do it. You have to do it. Church, can I make a personal appeal to you, please? This is why I come after you. This is why I call you when you do not show up for a program. This is why I plead with you to come to church. This is why I ask you to come for prayers. 
This is why I ask you to come for Bible study. I send your children to Sunday school, to the youth, to the young adults to me, to plead with you, men and women, please come and join the programs. I'm not looking, trust me in the name of the Lord, I'm saying to boast about the numbers of attendees. I really don't care. I care about your soul. I care about your soul. Every one of you. Every one of you. I just want you to come to the porch. I really want you to respond to the call of God. Do you really want to be healed today? The solutions to all your problems are resolved on the porch when you respond. Because everyone is precious to the Lord. Everyone is precious to me. So church, as long as I remain your pastor, your shepherd, I will come after you. I will come after you. Even if you do not welcome me, I will force myself into your life, into your house. Why? Because I am your shepherd. That is my calling. Because I know where you can find the solution. Do you really want to be healed? I want you to come to the porch. I want you to respond to him. I want you to be healed in all aspects of life. Because I love you deeply. So this morning... I'm going to ask us to take a moment to reflect on our own selves. You know what? You may not get a second chance. Church, I want you to understand sometimes we don't have second chances. There was a lovely lady, a, a God-fearing lady. She loves the Lord so much. She has supported our missions immensely. And I have utmost respect for her. Two days ago, she had brain aneurysm. Young children, she's in the hospital, not knowing what the future is going to be. She must be in her late 50s, I don't know. Why am I saying this? The day before that, she didn't know that she would be, next day she would be in coma. I asked the question, how come we are not in coma? You know why? Because it is of His grace. Because of His grace. But if we know the Lord personally, no matter what happens, we know where we are heading. If we don't know the Lord, you will not be able to seek Him. You will not find Him. So I'm going to ask the congregation to stand. We're going to sing a beautiful song. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. This is a time for you to reflect on yourself. And to say, God, hear me. Hear my humble cry. I am saying yes to do. While all others, on all others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I'm not looking at my wife. I'm not looking at my husband. I'm not looking at my children. It's about me. Cannot be done by proxy. Can we sing this through, please? And I'll leave you in a time of prayer. Let's sing.